Well, good morning, beloved Covenant family. Welcome to our online friends who are with us. We're delighted you're here. And kiddos, it's so good to be able to be with you right now. Hey, kids, last time we were together, I shared with you that I had some special socks on. I had socks that had glow-in-the-dark constellations, planets, and stars on them. Very impressive. Some of you actually got to see them. Uh, well, I wonder, kids, if you've got some favorite socks. And if you do, I'd love to have you find your mom or your dad, put your socks on, and have them take a picture of you and put it on our Facebook page. I'd love to see them. The um, socks that I'm wearing today are also special favorite socks that I have, but these are much more tame. They're very kind of, you know, polite and appropriate, but they're actually, don't tell anybody, covered with Mickey Mouses. <laughs> it's true. Well, uh, about this point, some of you are thinking, well, socks aren't our sole concern. Uh, they're really more of a footnote to our conversation this morning. Others of you at this point are thinking, all right, enough Mickey Mouse about the socks, darn it. Let's get on to Philippians. Okay, so kiddos, if you are heading to our children's program, you are uh, invited to go now. Lily's back in the back waiting for you. And the rest of us, let me lead you in prayer. Gracious God, we love you. And we come with expectancy. We know that there isn't anything of your work in us that we can muster up in ourselves. So as people redeemed by Jesus, inhabited by the Spirit of God, we pray that the same Spirit who inspired these words that we'll be exploring will bring them home to our hearts and make them come to life in us together. We pray these things with expectancy in the name of Jesus, our King. Well, last Sunday, we began a new sermon series on the book of Philippians, which is an awesome and really relevant book to our for our circumstances these days. I think Travis and his art team did a phenomenal job of capturing the central metaphor of the book in this amazing work that's behind me. Capturing this idea of, of another realm, the kingdom of heaven, coming into contact with and breaking into this earthly, normal realm that you and I live in. And you can see evidence of its presence all sprinkled all over the place through this world in which we live. Some people mindful of it, others not. And there's the latter that implies that there is access to that realm, both directions. And the central question that it poses is, so how do I let my citizenship in that realm inform the way that I live in this one? If you didn't get a chance to hear the message last Sunday, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen through it. I think that it would be helpful for you to orient you to the conversation we're going to be having over the next few months. But one of the things that I mentioned last time we were together is that in the first chapter, as Paul begins this uh, letter to his friends at the church in Philippi, he talks about three movements of the Spirit of God that really inevitably find expression in the life of the church together. One of those is that God, when the Spirit of God moves and we are redeemed people, he will bring us together into a community of love. 
A second thing that always happens is he will grow us up towards maturity. Transformation is a normal part of the Christian life as we are changed more and more into the likeness of Christ, as, as love abounds more and more among us. And then God also not only brings us together and grows us up, but he sends us out. He, he flings us out as shining stars sent out to tell tales of that other realm and to put that other realm on display in this world. So this morning we're going to be talking about the first of those. And we'll see how it comes through in, the, in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 1 in Paul's letter. And I encourage you just to flip there with me if you have your device or your Bible with you. Uh, go to Philippians chapter 1 and we'll look at verses 3 through 8. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Well, there's a really important word that's hidden away in these opening verses. In other letters that he writes, you'll remember that Paul uses different metaphors to describe this thing called the church. For instance, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he talks a lot about the church as a body of which we are members. In Ephesians, he talks about the, the church being like a family and we are brothers and sisters within it. Well, in this letter, the word that he uses as the primary image to describe the church is the Greek word koinonia. He uses the word twice in the verses that we just read, in verses 5 and 7, and he'll use the same word again or forms of it in chapter 2, verse 1, 3, verse 10, and 4, verses 14 and 16, or 14 and 15. Unfortunately, this isn't a word that has a good one-to-one -one translation in English. Here are some of the different ways that people have tried to translate the, this idea. In ancient Greek, this was a word that was used to describe different relational connections. Wherever there was a, a close relationship, it was used to describe a marriage, a family, a group of friends, a business partnership. Well, what all of those relationships have in common is that they are re close relationships that involve some sort of sharing, some sort of overlapping of life together related to the things that matter most. So here are the two places where Paul used this word in the passages that we just read. In chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about your partnership in the gospel. And then in chapter 1, verse 7, he talks about all of you who share in God's grace with me. So stop and think about this for a minute, because I think this is helpful for us as we think about our own experience of koinonia, of church life as a family. What did Paul actually share in common with the Philippians? Well, hardly anything. Paul spoke Greek and Hebrew. He grew up in Asia Minor, and he lived in Jerusalem. And he's writing a letter to and has visited and formed a friendship with people who live in the Greek world, in a Roman city within that Greek world, 
who speak the Roman language of Latin, who were former god and goddess worshipers who lived on a separate continent. So he has virtually nothing in common with these people with whom he's so open in his expression of affection. They had virtually no overlap in their lives except for this, their koinonia, their sharing together in the grace of God. They together have been on the receiving end of God's saving, rescuing work through Jesus. And that single thing, the sharing of that one most important thing, the overlapping of their lives at that one point of faith is sufficient to establish a strong and lasting connection. And not only that, but it proves sufficient to knit them together and in doing so to make their knit together lives a beautiful gift for every single one of them. In fact, one of the things that struck me as I've been reading back through Philippians again and again, and incidentally, I had a great conversation yesterday with 13-year-old Ashley Jordan, and uh, I love that she told me just on her own, just kind of burst out of her, how much she had loved sitting down and at one sitting reading through the whole book of Philippians every day during this past week and how much she was getting out of it. I hope that uh, you are spurred along by Ashley's example and that you've been engaging in the same sort of thing, continuing to immerse yourself in this book that will be the focus of our study over the next several months. But one of the things that comes through as I've been reading this, and I'm guessing you have been noticing this as well, is, is the, the very tangible way that this koinonia, this thing that we share together in Christ, actually becomes a gift for us as the people of God. And spending more and more time with this, I've seen three different ways in which that is true, in which that surfaces in this book. They are the gift of affectionate friendship, the gift of functional partnership, and an unexpected and a not particularly welcome gift is the gift of friction and hardship. We'll be opening up each of those. So the first one, the gift of affectionate friendship. The family of God is meant to be a fellowship of affection. When God gave us this beautiful gift of the local church, he didn't just give us an organization, he gave us friends and family, brothers and sisters, for whom we have affection and who have affection for us. You see this through the verses that we've already read. It just spills through in Paul's words, these expression of affection. How does he feel for them? Well, in verses three through six, he expresses gratitude. I thank my God every time I think of you. He talks about how uh, they are on his heart to pray for them. He talks about praying for them all the time. And he talks about the joy that they bring to him. I always pray with joy because of your koinonia, he says. And then again, in verses seven to eight, we see more of his affection pouring out. He talks about his fondness for them. He says, I have you in my heart, you who are in koinonia with me. I long for you. I miss you, he says. I long for all of you. And he speaks of his affection for them in Christ. Well, if, if Paul's affection for the church is open and on the surface in these opening verses, in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 1, they are incredibly evident in chapter 4, verse 1, where he circles back to some of the same themes. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. 
How does he feel for them? He loves them as brothers and sisters. He longs for them, those he talks about longing for. They are his joy, and they are also his delight. He uses the expression, you are my crown. And this is referring not to the crown that a ruler would have worn, but the kind of uh, laurel crown that celebrants would have worn in a, at a party or in a, at a festivity, or that victors in the games would have worn as their reward. He's, he's expressing, using that phrase, the delight that he finds in them. And then again, even just in this one sentence, he has to say it again, that they are his beloved friends. So Paul is driven to give really practical tangible expression to the love that he feels for the Philippians. He writes them this letter of affection, but that's not all. In 2.24, we see that Paul loves them and misses them so much that even while he sits in prison, he is making plans to try to figure out how to come and visit them as soon as he gets out. And in the meantime, he's making other plans. He's making arrangements for Timothy to visit them on Paul's behalf, to cheer them on, and to give expression to Paul's love for them. So I think this is a striking thing that we can learn from. It's important that we notice that Paul loves them and, and has a fondness for them and an affection for them, that he delights in them and misses them and appreciates them and thanks God for them. But the thing that I think is really worth our noticing and being challenged by is that Paul expresses the affection that he has for his brothers and sisters in Christ. He tells them openly, repeatedly, unreservedly how much he loves them. Do you suppose that there is anybody in the town of Philippi after hearing or reading this letter who would have, who would have walked away saying, gosh, I, I, wonder, I wonder how Paul really feels about me. I wonder if there are times when we have interactions with each other where we do walk away wondering, I wonder how he or she really feels about me. Well, later on in this book, in chapter 4, verse 9, we're going to come across this line from Paul. He says, so Philippians, brothers and sisters, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. I think that's a great admonition for us in this area. We can sometimes be guarded, reserved in our expressions of affection for each other. I had a great conversation with a friend earlier this week about this very thing, about we were reflecting together on, on how open Paul was in expressing his love for God's people. And we were talking about how his example challenged us to bring our love forward into our interactions, to risk giving more open expression to our affection, our fondness, the appreciation, the delight, the joy and gratitude that we feel towards one another. I mean, if a tough guy who has endured shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonment can do it, I can do it. I think of Shirley Sims' example, and some of you will know immediately what I'm talking about. Shirley made a point with Paul so often at the end of worship services to walk up to me, walk right up to me with a great big smile on her face to tilt her head a little bit sideways like she'd like to do. Her eyes would scrunch up in compassion and they'd brighten up with love. And, and she would say, oh, David, we love you so much.
when you and I find ways to express openly the affection that we have for one another, we give the gift of the love that we have for each other all over again in that moment, don't we? So before we go any further, I just want to have us pause and do this. Think right now of some of the people in the covenant family who are important to you. Just ask God to bring some people to mind right now. Who's someone you appreciate? Who, who have you missed connecting with? Who do you feel affection for? Who do you long to see? Who do you love? So grab your phone. And before we go any further, I just want you to take a moment and express that affection to someone. You might say, I thank God for you. I pray for you every day. Your friendship is a gift to me. I love your socks. I miss you. I'm so grateful for you. I hope to see you soon. I carry you around with me in my heart. You are a joy to me. I love you. Take a moment and communicate that to someone right now. So the first gift that God gives us in the koinonia of the local church is the gift of affectionate friendship. The family of God is a fellowship of affection. But here's a, a second gift of the koinonia community into which God gathers us when he gives us the gift of the local church. It is the gift of functional partnership. The church isn't an organization, but it has organizational elements, and for good reason. Those are ways that the church enjoys the gift of functional partnering. When believers come together in the local church and they team up, when, as Paul says in chapter 1, verse 27, they strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, making their gifts and their abilities available to one another, pooling their financial resources, collaborating their efforts, then they multiply their effectiveness. Buildings, Budgets, programs, staff, those are all ways that the church pools and organizes its resources in order to make an even greater kingdom impact. Part of why Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church was specifically to thank them for their generous and faithful gifts in support of his ministry. Chapter 4, verse 14, it was good of you to koinonia in my troubles. Paul also writes to the Philippian church to thank them for sending along one of its beloved members to come to Paul and spend time with him, to encourage him and to work for a while alongside of him for the sake of the gospel. I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you. I'm sure you've all heard of the term synergy. Synergy is cooperation that leads to the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. When Paul speaks of Epaphroditus, he refers to him as his co-worker, and in Greek, the word is synergos, synergy. Epaphroditus is the synergy of Paul. 
He uses the same word in chapter 4, verse 3, to describe Euodia and Syntyche and Clement and all of the others who've joined with him, who've been in, in koinonia partnership with him in his ministry. When God created the local church, part of his design was for the church to be a koinonia of functional partnership. Abilities get shared, expertise gets shared, resources get shared, and kingdom work gets multiplied. So every time we tithe our income to the church, every time we volunteer our time or our gifts to strengthen others in the church, every time we get together with like-minded others and jump into missional difference-making in our community together, we are living out God's design for the local church to be a fellowship, to be a koinonia of practical partnership for the sake of the kingdom. So how are you doing at offering up, offering back your individual gifts and your personal resources for the sake of this this larger thing, this koinonia, this partnership into which God calls us together as his people. Well, there's one more wonderful but unpleasant gift that God gives us in our shared life together, in our koinonia. He gives us the delightful gift of our affectionate friendship. He gives us the meaningful gift of our functional partnership. And he gives us the unpleasant gift of our friction and hardship. Wait, what? A gift? God uses the challenge of our differences, the discomfort of our disagreements, and the frustration of our disappointments in the local church to sculpt us into the likeness of his son. In order that through us, he might even more put himself on display and his love on display in this world. One of the key places that Paul opens up this idea of koinonia is in the first verse of chapter 2, where he is appealing to the Philippians to, to, to dwell on this koinonia that we share together in the Spirit. And that verse comes right in the middle of, of the section that is at the very heart of this letter, as we'll discover in a bit. In this section, Paul is speaking about the pride, the ambition, and the self-importance that can come between us and break apart the body, the, the unity of the local church. And he talks about the unity and the humility that give us the grace to stand firm together, one in spirit and in purpose, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You only have to look a little bit further in chapter 2, verses 14, 15, and 16, to see the, 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 that Paul directly connects our ability to get along with each other with our ability to faithfully represent the love of God in this world. But here's the unexpected secret behind Paul's words. This is the part that so many in the body of Christ unfortunately miss. If we hang in there, if we don't let our differences and our disagreements and our disappointments, which are real, if we don't let those push us apart, but we hang in there with each other, and we learn to love each other nonetheless, then we receive an unexpected gift from the Spirit and we fulfill a key purpose for our koinonia, which is that we become more and more like Jesus. So it's not surprising when Paul does what he does when he learns about his two dear sisters in Christ, two of his faithful synergies, his co-workers, who are at odds with each other, he doesn't say, oh, gosh, yeah, I guess I bet that's been hard. Look, why don't you just establish some firm boundaries and just call an end to the relationship? 
Instead, this is what he writes, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Paul isn't willing for Euodia and Syntyche to fall away from each other because of their conflict. Instead, he encourages the leaders of the church to help them to work it out. So often when there is a conflict between two people in the church, the sin is fatal to the friendship. Paul wants it to be the other way around. He wants the friendship to be fatal to the sin. He wants Euodia and Syntyche to let their their forgiveness and their forbearance and their determination to learn to live in unity to let those things grow in them and take hold of them and to become the tool that God uses to put an end to their pride and their ambition and their self-concern. This is perhaps the gift of koinonia that is the easiest of all to overlook and the quickest of all to throw overboard. It's the way that God intends to use all that is awkward and hard and clunky and frustrating about the local church for the good in our lives if we stay in there and let him do the work. We think our struggles are a reason to pull apart. God thinks our struggles are a reason to push us together. My buddy David Estep told me that he and his family got a rock tumbler. You may know the way that a rock tumbler works is through friction and collision. So rough and dull and jagged rocks like these are made smooth and shiny and beautiful like these by putting a bunch of them together in a tumbler with some water and some sand and closing the lid so they can't get out and then letting them knock against each other for a few weeks. And voila, out of the friction and the collision comes this stunning beauty. The very same is true of the way that God intends to use our differences within the koinonia, within the church family. It is so easy, it's so tempting to gravitate toward those who look like us and think like us and vote like us and are in the same stage of life with us. I think about how blessed I've been, how much richer my life is as a result of the relationships that I've been blessed to have with people who are different from me. I think of my little friend Evangeline Hyde and her delightful big sis Lily and Lily's friend Lydia. I think of David Estep and his sisters. I think of Hannah and Zoe Wute and Timmy and Julia Pierce, if you're still up there. And I think of of Elias Sem and, and Frankie Kung and Diana Salwero and Asako Ikubo and, and Matt Unroe and Dulce Abraham and Margie Heaston and Paul Sims and, and Barbie Lane and Michael Iman. Out of the awkward tumble of relating across lines of difference in age and ethnicity and capacity comes more and more beauty. 
Think about some of the passages of scripture that speak of some of the most important Christ-like qualities that God intends to form in us. The fruit of the spirit that talk about forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The, the clothing with which we are, we are meant to be clothed in Christ in Colossians chapter 3. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love, peace. How do we get those things formed? Not when Euodia and Syntyche find it hard to get along and go to other churches. Not when everybody in our friendship circle looks just like us and thinks just like us. It's when we hang in there with each other and we suffer through to the other side of our disunity and our difference and our disappointment and our disagreement, focusing on the Jesus who is the one thing that we have in common and allowing the spirit as we do so to shape us into something that looks more and more and more like him. Romans 5, we glory in our sufferings, in our struggles, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And all of this produces the beauty of life together. God uses our disagreements, our differences, our disappointments to make us look beautiful in the way that Jesus looks beautiful. So these Christ-like qualities of love and patience and forbearance and compassion, these are the rock-tumbling gifts of koinonia produced through the awkward and the, the painful and the trying work of working it out together. I just had a delightful conversation with a man this week who's fairly new to covenant, but uh, by the grace of God has really become deeply involved and closely connected within the, the life of the body. And in our conversation, he just said something that really uh, struck me and I asked if I could share it with you. He said, I love covenant. I really love my church. And the way I know how much I love it is when it gets hard and we have disagreements and differences, but I still really want to be part of them. What an expression of the gift of koinonia. When God put us together in the local church, he gave us gift upon gift upon gift as we participate in, partner in, share in this kingdom life together. The gift comes in the form of affectionate friendship. It comes in the form of functional partnership. And it comes in the form of friction and hardship. I wonder how God means for us to unwrap those gifts that he gives us in each other. Would you pray with me as our worship team comes up? So Lord, as we think about the gift of the affectionate friendship that you mean us to share, how would you have us express our affection to one another in this church this week? Lord, as we think about the gift of functional partnership that you mean for us, for our koinonia to be together, how might you want us to, to share our gifts and our resources in order to strengthen and build up the church this week? And Lord, as we think about our friction and the hardship that we sometimes share together, where is the place that you might be calling us to hang in there with each other in the face of our differences and our disagreements and our disappointments? 
and to stand firm, one in spirit and in purpose, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. Lord, set your goodness loose at work within us and between us in order that together we might put your goodness on display in this world. We pray in Jesus' name.